start uh, kind of a new a new run at things um, for the next couple weeks, uh, and it's going to be on evangelism. I don't know why I feel the need to apologize for that, so I started thinking about it, like why, why am I trying so hard to come up with like another word, like to call it something else, you know, and uh, I think it's because like in church culture, evangelism has like certain connotations that come along whenever you hear it. Um, and, and some of them are good and some of them are not so good. Um, evangelism in and of itself is a great thing. And I know not everybody grew up in, in church necessarily or as like a part of a church culture or whatever, but a lot, a lot of us did. Um, and, and even if you didn't, you are familiar with evangelism because of... Uh, probably like the two like extreme examples that you can think of. Um, one extreme example has been come to, like people just call it the bullhorn guy because Rob Bell. Uh, but it's a really good way. I mean, these are the people who um, set up outside of a Marilyn Manson concert, if he's still on tour, I don't know. Uh, and they set up outside of a Marilyn Manson concert or something like that, and they have bullhorns and like literature, and they're like screaming at people about how they're going to hell and that kind of stuff. Or if you went to LSU, the people still in Free Speech Alley kind of doing the same thing. There's kind of that extreme of, uh, like, uh, extreme view of evangelism that that's what it is. It's yelling at people and scaring them. Uh, I'll say it nicely, there's kids in here, but scaring them out of hell into heaven um, is, is kind of the goal. And, and they look at Scripture and they say, no, that's what we're told, to proclaim it boldly and to go into the dark places and whatever. And, and so... They're sincere like in their belief that this is what Christians are supposed to do. But most of us look at that and we say, no, not it. And so uh, I was, I was, we were at the Passion Conference a couple weeks ago. I went to this breakout session, and they were talking about evangelism. And I'd kind of been toying with the idea that like, maybe, maybe we need to talk about this on Sundays as a church. But kind of sitting in that room, it really kind of confirmed some stuff. And a part of what confirmed it was they talked about the bullhorn guy, but then they talked about the other side over here which is um, complete silence. That, um, you know, we take that, that quote, you know, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words, very, very literally as though it was never necessary to use words ever. We say, I'm just going to try to live a Christ-like life and live peacefully and all that kind of stuff or whatever. And, you know, we say if someone asks, I'll tell them until someone asks and we don't tell them. And the, the truth is, like, both, both aren't necessarily right, but both aren't necessarily wrong. Um, that there is, there's somewhere in, in the middle. The way the, the way the guy at the conference, you know, he, he said we've overcorrected. We've, we've seen this and we've overcorrected to this other extreme over here, when in reality, most of us need to be in, in between. There needs to be um, a lifestyle that comes with us, you know, representing God and all that kind of stuff with our actions and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But there also, there needs to be words in there. Let's look at a couple of scriptures that, that kind of confirm, you know, this a little bit. Last week we looked at in Acts 4 when we were looking at just the prayer lives of the New Testament church and how amazing that was. 
Um, but there was, remember, they prayed for boldness. They didn't pray for safety, they prayed for boldness. And I don't think it was boldness to uh, preach the gospel at all times when necessary to use words. I think there were some words in there as well. Um, and so uh, when um, you have Peter and John, they've been arrested for basically preaching uh, the gospel. And so they're brought before these officials and stuff. And the officials, you know, there's this really great dialogue and you should read it. And then there comes this point where they tell them, okay, well, you can't talk about it anymore. Look at verse, look at 420, all right? If you want to, college students, 420, right? You want a verse to memorize? Here's a really good one that you can remember the numbers that go with it, okay? Uh, not because of 420 for you, but 420, the concept is, you know, ha-ha, it's 420, you know, whatever. So if you're one of those people that's like, it's a verse, and it's somewhere in the Bible, whatever, and you get hung up on I can't remember the numbers that go with it, Acts 420, that's a funny one that you can actually remember, and you can like, pow, regurgitate that one right on the spot. 420 is what it says. Uh, they tell them not to say anything, and this is what they say. They say, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We cannot but speak of what we've seen or heard. You read some other translations, they're basically saying, um, we cannot help but talk about what we have seen and what we have heard. You tell us to stop preaching, we can't help it. I'm very challenged by that, because there are plenty of times where I can, I can help it. And so if there is, like, one, you want to narrow it down to one verse that's easy to find, easy to remember, to challenge you about evangelism, say try to lay your life over the top of that one and see how much they line up. I, like I said last week, I, I want that. Like, I want to be that guy. I want to know that if someone's like, you know, if, if I, I mean, my job, it's encouraged. But in you know, most jobs, they kind of discourage, you know, telling people about religious stuff or whatever at work. And I would like to think if somebody got in my face and was like, you've got to stop doing this, I would like to think my response would be like, look, I, I, just, I can't help it. I can't help but talk about what I've seen and heard and experienced. Um, I'm not saying go get fired. So don't hear me say that. But what I am saying is, I don't know how, how often my life, maybe your life too, really coincides with that. Um, look over, let's, let's do another one. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1. So one of those guys that was just a part of that story, um, this is what he has to say. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 16. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Let's look at that again. It's awesome. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, quote, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Okay, that's at Jesus' baptism. Um, voice, that's God the Father said that audibly, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, what was that? And then, you know, awesome. Um, so they're saying when that happened, verse 18, we ourselves heard this very, this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So what they're saying is like, okay, um, we didn't like just make up all this stuff. We didn't like come up with this clever myth about Jesus. We were actually there. 
So everything that we're telling you is based on the fact that we have experienced this. There are words in there, but there's also a certain degree of just being rocked by what you've experienced to the point where you have no problem um, articulating that to other people because you're basically just saying, this is what happened, like I was there. This is what happened, this is my life. Awesome. Look at, look, go to 1 John chapter 1. It's a few pages over. Here's the other guy from Acts 4. Verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, okay, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, okay, there's experience there, there's seeing, and there's, actually, there's like tangible like results there. Verse 2, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it. Okay, that's Jesus. And testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, look, look at verse 3 again. Here's, here's evangelism, all right? Not an extreme view, a right-on biblical view. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Everything I've experienced, I proclaim to you so that you too may experience what I have experienced. That's all that evangelism is, like conceptually. Not, I'm not even saying like in a practical sense, like let's just make sure that we understand it. You're just telling people what has happened to you because your desire is for that to happen to them also. To bring them into your experiences. Now, we're going to we're going to just kind of lay a base today, and we're going to build on it for a couple of weeks, and we're going to get a little theological, we're going to get a little deep and confusing, we're going to get really practical, and we're going to, we're going to cover you know, a good bit of ground, but just, it's just a base understanding. Let's look at it in action. We've looked at this before a little bit, but let's look at it one more time. Look at, turn to John 9. It's the last verse I'll have you jump to, last chapter. Have you jump to, all right? John chapter 9 um, is worth hanging out in for a long, long time, okay? Um, that Jesus and his disciples are rolling along. They come upon a guy that is, has been blind from birth. The disciples, instead of seeing um, an opportunity for healing and the glory of God to show off and whatever, instead of saying, Jesus, heal this guy, they take advantage of it as an opportunity to have a theological debate, which is a pattern that we see um, happening all the way till today. Um, take Pat Robertson, like that is his comments about Haiti, that's exactly the same thing that happened here. He looks at the situation and, and decides to pontificate about the theological ramifications of some pact made with Satan that didn't even necessarily happen or whatever, instead of being like, hey, give generously, go if you can, pray for them all the time, we need to be loving on them, he, he did exactly this right there. So the disciples... We give them a hard time. They did some, some amazing things while with Christ. They did more amazing things once they had the Spirit in them. But here was one of their like, not-so-shining moments. So Jesus comes along, and he's like, okay, um, this did not happen because of his parents' sin. Because that was her question was, 
you know, did his parents mess up, and that's why he was like, it was like a, their punishment for their sin, or was there something that he did, or, you know, they were like trying to, you know, whatever, and Jesus is like, uh-uh, that's not what this is about. This is about God showing off. So Jesus heals him, and the guy uh, is now like, he's like known in this community, and so he goes, and he's walking around, and all of a sudden he can see, and he's telling everybody, hey, look, remember when I was blind? I'm not. Remember yesterday when I couldn't see anything, and the day before that I couldn't see anything, the day before that, but I guess for today I can see you. So he's going around, he's telling everybody, and it caused quite a stir. So um, he has to start answering some questions, because Jesus, I mean, they, they've, like, they've moved on, um, and, and they're kind of like doing some other stuff, and so he's, this guy who had been healed is having to answer some questions about Christ. And so we may find ourselves in kind of a similar situation where people are asking us things about our faith or about Christianity or about Jesus and about just, you know, whatever. Um, and so it comes along, look at verse 8. He's being quizzed pretty good. Verse 8, the neighbors and those who'd seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, is he? Others said, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. That's where that phrase came from. Uh, so they said to him, it's right there. Verse 10, so they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he said, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam, which is a pool, and wash. So I went, I washed, and I received my sight. And they said, where is he? He said, I, I do not know. They brought, uh, they brought to the Pharisees the man who'd formerly been blind. And it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Okay, here comes the controversy. So the Pharisees asked again how it was he received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes. This is the second, second time he uh, describes it. He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. It was pretty, right? Put mud on my eyes, I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this, is, uh, this man's not from God, and they go on, they have this kind of debate you know, type deal. Um, look over verse 24. Uh, they keep just giving him, the, they just giving this guy the hardest time about who is Jesus, and who is this guy, and is he a prophet, and is he, you know, from the devil, and all this stuff? Look at 24. So for a second time, they called the man who'd, who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Though I was blind, now I see. If, if you want to know what evangelism is about, that like in a practical sense, that's, that's basically it right there. This guy's like, look, I don't know the answers to all your questions. And you may find yourself just, like, have, just feeling all kind of questions from coworkers and family members. And, you know, what about what Pat Robertson said? Don't you think he's kind of right? And what happens with this? And what about this? And all this stuff is coming at you. Um, and while I do believe that we should educate ourselves and we should strive to, to know and understand more and be ready for those conversations, um, that kind of jacks up the intimidation level for all of us. Um, and in an attempt to lower that and establish a good, calm, peaceful, biblical understanding of it, this guy handles it so well. He's like, look, I, I don't know all that. This is what I do know. Yesterday I couldn't see. And now I can That's evangelism. This is what my life was like. And now this is what my life is like. I think it's a lot like uh, what happens at a good old wedding rehearsal dinner. 
Um, and let me, permit me for a second to make fun of rehearsal dinners. I don't want you to get offended um, if I have been to yours or if I will go to yours. Uh, there is a common thing that happens at them, and I think it's great. And I don't mean to mock it, and I'm not mocking it. But it's like pretty typical. Um, you get through the rehearsal, which is usually absolutely miserable, actual rehearsal. Um, and you get to, and there's a dinner, and sometimes it's really formal, and sometimes it's really laid back or whatever. And there's like the awkward toasting and roasting and all that kind of stuff that goes on, and the groomsman that tells the inappropriate story that makes the whole room laugh and kind of awkward at the same time. And there's like just very, very common elements in a lot of these things, but there's one that's come along the last couple of years that I really think is great. But I think it can teach us something about evangelism. Here's, here's what it is. is it is a slideshow. And they, and they kind of take this a very similar format. There's uh, rolling pictures of the girl from when she was a baby all the way through, uh, you know, whatever, uh, where, however old she is. And it's baby pictures and kindergarten pictures and groups of friends. And everybody's watching it, and there's like a Bebo Norman song playing in the background, you know. And uh, it's coming along, and everybody's like, oh, look at your hair. And I can't be, you know, whatever. And all the bridesmaids are counting how many times they're in the picture versus other people. And, you know, you know, it, you know I'm right. And so it rolls along. But it's, it's her entire life without the, without the guy in it. Then the song changes, and then Watercolor Ponies or something, Steam Crush Chapman, something comes on, and then it's the same thing with the guy. And the guys are not counting how many times they're in the picture. They're like praying that uh, there's nothing truly embarrassing about to show up on the screen with them. And, um, and so the same thing happens. Um, but it's like his entire life from real little all the way till now, but it's all pictures of like him and his buddies and his high school friends and college friends and whatever. Um, and then they go to a third song that's like, like maybe like a James Taylor song or, you know, Stevie Wonder or something, is this, you know, whatever. And this, this part of the, of the slideshow is like the two of them together. That's all pictures of like, you know, maybe their first couple of dates or when, they, you know, whatever. And then you watch the relationship evolve and it gets into the engagement photos and all that kind of stuff. And then it kind of closes with like a, you know, their names and the date, you know, kind of embossed with something, you know, whatever. And that is evangelism. <laughs> uh, but I, I do think, I do think, I think that we have to begin to sort of think about evangelism kind of like that, okay? Um, because what that slideshow does is it goes from like, this was, our, this was our life before we met each other, and now here's our life together. And that's what the, what, really what the wedding is about, and I say this at a lot of weddings that I perform, that everybody that's at a wedding played a role in, in shaping those two individuals into who they're, they're going to be. Like everybody there... Like, each person should turn around and thank the whole, like, opposite side of the room, you know? That groom should turn around and say to everybody on the bride's side, thank you so much for helping make her what she is today. That's, that's what happens. I mean, that's because her whole story that has come along is, like, her life without this guy. And then, at some point, their lives intersect. And that's what, that's what evangelism is for you and for me is it's just as simple as saying, this is what my life was like before I met Christ, and now my life is like this. If we can begin to, to think of life like that, 
as more of a story, okay, I really think it's going to be very helpful, that evangelism is really about being a storyteller. You know how people are like really good storytellers and some people are really horrible storytellers? This is what you'll find. Most people that are good storytellers tell the same stories over and over and over again. And they have practiced them. And they know the funny lines and they know, like, they know how to tell that story. But they love that story. And people love to hear that story. But I don't think a lot of times we think about our spiritual lives as a story. Now, maybe there are some reasons for that. And I think one of the things that, that is really uh, a frustrating point especially with, with people who come from like a church background, is that like maybe, maybe you think your story is really boring. You know, maybe you're like, well, I mean, I was, you know, went to church nine months before I was born, you know, for never missed a Sunday for nine months, and then I hadn't missed a Sunday since, and I never got in any trouble. I was a pretty good kid. I was baptized when I was six, and I kind of never looked back, and it's been, just been really good. And you might look at that story and just be like, that is so boring compared to someone else who would say, um, I'm not even going to give an example because I'm scared to death that I'm going to pinpoint somebody in here and they'll get mad at me. But like, like the, the other ex- extreme, full of like rebellion and bad decisions and trouble and all this kind of stuff. And then they have some sort of like encounter with Christ that's like miraculous and whatever. And it's so common for us to feel like in like our stories are inferior you know that this person's radically saved and i'm just kind of saved you look in the bible and you see you see paul you know i mean the dude his profession was like finding christians and locking them up and putting them in prison so they could be tortured and hopefully eventually killed and that was what he did for a living then one day, he's walking down the road, this light comes on, and it's Jesus, and he talks to him. And then he can't see anything for three days. Jesus says, go, and I'm going to send someone named Ananias to come to you. And so and then one day, he's sitting there blind, and this dude, Ananias, comes and says, hey, I'm Ananias, I'm here, whatever. And all of a sudden, the scales fall off, and he can see, and he goes on, basically change history. You look at that story, you're like, oh my gosh, if that was my story, I would tell everybody. Or you look at Peter. Peter was a Jewish kid who didn't make the cut to go be trained by a rabbi after his bar mitzvah. So he had to go to work in the family trade. That's kind of how it worked. Because they were fishermen, we know, because every Jewish boy was trying to get to where he could follow a rabbi, and we know that all those guys were turned down at some point, and they had to go into a regular job. So he'd been rejected a little bit. So he was, doing, he was a fisherman, and they were, they were gruff, and they were admired because it was dangerous. But, I mean, they, it was just nothing special. So... His testimony would be, I grew up a Jewish kid, I got rejected by a rabbi, and that kind of, kind of bit. But then I became a fisherman, and we did okay. And then uh, I followed Christ for a while, and, you know, whatever. And they used to call me Simon, now they call me Peter. I'm like, huh, that's an interesting angle. Because they used to call Paul Saul. So Saul became Paul, and Simon became Peter. Both of them had a name change. One may have a more, like, spectacular story from a Hollywood standpoint, the truth is, both of those dudes had a story worth telling. And because they told it, you and I are sitting here today. It does not matter what your before and after story looks like, how exciting or how dramatic, or even if you can put a date, I was saved on January the 12th, 
1981 at Justin Baptist Retreat Center in uh, Shady Hollow or whatever it's called, in the cabin, led to Christ by Greg Hayes, who was my uh, you know, RA counselor. I mean, you don't have to have a story that's like so detailed that it, what if you're like, you know, I have no idea when I became a Christian at all. Do you know you're a Christian? Okay. Story. What a great story. What a great story to say. Um, I pretty much don't remember a single time when I haven't known Christ. That's an amazing story. Why would, why would you want to say, man, I wish I had like, been to prison and like, killed all these people and made all these bad decisions? Why would you want that? We've got to get over that. You've got to fall in love with your story. You've got to fall in love with your story. When you begin to fall in love with your story, you know what's going to happen? Acts 4.20 is going to happen. You guys, I, I got to tell you this story. Or when someone asks you, like, finally somebody asks you to tell a story. That's what evangelism is. is us falling in love with the story of God, falling in love with the fact that, that our story that was separate from him somehow became one with him, and that now we get to tell about that. So that other people can do the same thing. It's Awesome. What a privilege. What, a, what an amazing place for us to be. So the takeaway, I think, for us is for us to intentionally like, think about what is, what is my story? I mean, like you kind of know, but like if someone were to ask you, what would you tell them? And how would you tell them? Would there be three exclamation points after every sentence? Or would it be kind of like talking to Eeyore? Do you love the story of God, and do you love the fact that your story at some point intersected with his? I don't know about you, but for me, I'm, I'm not there yet, but I'm getting more excited about it. And the truth is, I need to be ready to tell that story, and to tell it accurately, and to tell it boldly. When you look forward in our church, I'm pretty sure that we have some days ahead of this actually happening. Pretty awesome. So we're going to close tonight nice and simple. We're going to sing some songs that are consistent with what we've just been talking about. So I hope you like to sing songs because we're about to do it. Let me pray. Father, just in, in all seriousness, um, God, I, I, I'm grateful that I have a story that um, is not about me. A story that went from being completely about me to being about you. And that I'm striving to live a life that is about you. And I thank you for my story that kind of just came along in segments. I thank you, God, that my story is not like anybody else's here. And just in your uniqueness and the way that you made every fingerprint different and um, all throughout nature, God, there's just a uniqueness in, it, in every tree and everything that we see. God, that you have uniquely crafted each one of us with a unique story. God, help us, help us just to really just dig into that, to really think about that. And as the next couple of weeks we start talking about some of this stuff, um, God, we need, we need to abide in you and we need you to empower us and teach us how to fall in love with 
your story and the way that our story intersects with your story and now our story is actually your story. So God, may that just begin just in our own, just in our desires. Help us to see things anew. Help us to sing even these songs, maybe just from a different perspective. Father, we love you. And uh, we're just so grateful. We love you so much. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.